Take your copy of God's Word and turn to Isaiah 33 this morning. Isaiah 33. We're in a couple of isolated texts before we get back to um, Matthew. We'll be three weeks from today, beginning a series on the Sermon on the Mount as we go back to Matthew. We're going to be here next week. Dr. Bob Butler will be sharing from the pulpit. And then March 1st, we'll be looking at vision uh, for our church and excited to share with you on March 1st as well. But today we're in Isaiah 33 in verses 14 through 16. Isaiah 33, 14 through 16. I've never been in the eye of a tornado, but it's a fascinating um, situation that you're familiar with, the, the, the mighty powerful winds of a tornado or a large storm passing through and somehow in the center a place where things are calm and placid there's amazing stories that you can read about that have happened inside the eye of a tornado we're looking at today's passage and it is if you will a description of how to live in the eye of another tornado we're backing up a little bit from last week's sermon that we looked at. Last week we were in Second Kings, but Isaiah is paralleling the story of the kings here. So we're actually going backwards a little bit today and looking at uh, this, this build-up, this precursor to what we saw last week as we looked at King Hezekiah taking the threatful letter from Sennacherib and pouring it out before the Lord in prayer. But Israel, the northern kingdom has fallen because of their rebellion against the Lord. And now King Sennacherib of Assyria, as we looked at last week, has turned his sights on Judah, the southern kingdom. And God has been warning them, but at the same time, he's also been wooing them. If you read several chapters before today's chapter in Isaiah, it's it's a beautiful uh, several chapters. Many of my favorite passages and verses come from this section, and as you read through, you may find the same. Some, in fear, are turning their attention to Egypt. And how easy it is for us in the time of crisis to turn our attention away from the Lord, which is the only logical place to turn our attention is to the Lord, and to turn it for help elsewhere. Some have done that. And so in in these chapters leading up, God is, is wooing and saying, I so lovingly, so longingly want you to turn your heart to me. Because I want to protect you and provide for you and bless you. It's always been his desire that his people would turn to him so that he can bless us. And so that he can get great glory in doing so. Now again, as we we look at this today, we're not talking about uh, name it, claim it uh, type of Christianity. If you'll turn to the Lord, then nothing bad will ever happen to you. Just uh, rewind to our series on Job last year, and we're reminded, know that, that things still happen. What we don't want is we don't want man-made disaster. And when I say man-made disaster, I'm talking about my made disaster that can so easily come. Oh, the Lord has things that he knows need to come, need, need to come into our life. There are difficulties. There are struggles. But we want to to seek to live a life where we're only experiencing the troubles that God knows we need. And we can get further and further away from the troubles that we create in our own life. And so God is wooing them. And now God has been promising that he will judge the Assyrians. And he's proclaiming the might and the extent of his wrath on these who turn against God's people. It's so interesting. I just love, and you'll hear me say this over and over uh, throughout the years, I love how God is so masterful at taking the evil desire of the enemy, 
allowing it to bring judgment and discipline to his people. But it was still never right that they did so. And then he will turn around and he'll judge the very people and discipline the ones who caused harm to his people. It's, it's a wonderful way that God is able to take everything and meld it into his perfect will. And so as we pick up in verse 14 today, some are fearing and asking, well, if God is this wrathful, if God is so powerful to bring this kind of vengeance on his enemies, what about us? And particularly, what about us? The question is being asked by those who are giving lip service to the Lord, but not truly walking after the Lord. So beginning in verse 14. Sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling has seized the godless. And the question, who among us can live with the consuming fire of God's wrath? Who among us can live with the continual burning? And the answer is found in verse 15. And I I, I love these uh, kind of uh, equation bullet point scriptures. He says, here is who can live in the eye of the tornado and not experience man-made disaster. He who walks righteously and speaks with sincerity. He who rejects unjust gain and shakes his hands so that they hold no bribe. He who stops his ears from hearing about bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking upon evil. He will dwell on the heights. His refuge will be the impregnable rock. His bread will be given him and his water will be sure. So I want us to look at what we find here in verse 15 as a master plan for life. A list of goals for our life in the Lord. Now, we know that none of us are here. If I were to speak to you today about the things that I have conquered in perfection, the sermon would be very short. In fact, we'd pray and go home now. None of us are here. And it's so much so that that's why we need what Christ did for us on the cross. It's the gospel that saves us. No one ever gets to heaven for being good enough. No one will ever attain to the righteousness required to be right with God so that we can be forgiven and go to be with heaven. That's why Christ came. So if your goal is to be good enough to earn your way to heaven, you're going to be very, very frustrated. You'll never get there. And Christ coming to the earth and his death and resurrection would be meaningless. That's why we needed it. However, this verse gets at the result of that. We don't say, I want Christ to be my Savior, but I don't want to follow Him in any of His ways. Because what He's given to us, when He's given us the owner's manual for life, is He said, I love you so much, I'm going to tell you the best way to live. And you won't get there, and that's why I died, but you need to live your life pursuing it. And so we pursue this kind of life. This is the man we want to be. This is the woman we want to be. This is the teenager we want to be. Because of what Christ has done for us. Now, so that... He will do it for us. So he says, he who walks righteously. We looked last Wednesday night in 1 John 1, 6. John writes, said, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. The way we walk spiritually, it does involve sometimes the places we go and don't go. But the, the way that we live our life, the way that we walk matters. Because if the Holy Spirit of God has come to live inside of my life, then things must begin to change. Some days are better than others. Some days I walk more closely with Him 
than others. But we want the big picture of our life to be a life that is seeking to walk after the Lord. We want to be believers who our first desire is to follow Him, but knowing that we don't always do that, that our second goal is that we want to keep short accounts with God so that we're confessing it to Him, so that we're getting right with Him, so that we're once again falling off the bike but getting back on to begin walking after the Lord. And, of course, all of these things, these things happen as a result of being in His Word daily, learning what it is that He wants us to do, how does He want us to walk, how does He want us to think, and as we're in the Word, it begins to shape the way that we think, which then shapes the way that we walk. It's through daily prayer, knowing the places that you have difficulty in your Christian walk, so that you can take those to the Lord. Lord, help me today. Help me to please you and to follow after you in this area, in this area of my life. It's in being in corporate worship, but also in the smaller group Bible studies and in being involved in each other's lives so that we have accountability, the kind of accountability we want. Brothers and sisters in Christ coming alongside of us to help us as we help them. And as we defeat the enemy's lies, the enemy likes to lie to you and say, you're the only one that has that problem. In this whole room, it's only you. He lies like that. And so when we're able to get together and get in each other's lives, we find out we're all struggling. Paul said he struggled. In fact, the struggle itself is a good indication that the Holy Spirit of God is inside of you, teaching you, reminding you of how to live for him. We press on, even though we're not there yet. There were two signs on the door of the repair shop. One said, we can fix anything. The one below it said, please knock, the doorbell is broken. That's where we are as believers. We're not, that, we're not there yet. So we don't lower the bar and say, well, since we're not there yet, let's don't even try. Because that's just putting ourselves into the man-made troubles we want to avoid. We want to please the Lord. We want to glorify the Lord. We want to be a testimony of what He's done in our life. Our witness matters. We don't follow the Lord for the witness, but it is a result of seeking to follow Him. As your neighbors, as your co-workers, as your extended family says, what is it? that that person has discovered that is so powerful, so valuable in their life that they're willing to be different. How can he have joy? How can she still smile when that happened to them, when that person did them wrong like that? There's something different, and it's not just that they're vegetarians. There's something powerful at work in their life. And if you're a vegetarian, I'm sorry. Not for saying that. I'm sorry you're a vegetarian. No, I'm kidding. I'm I'm sorry. That's... I should have brought the notes up here. Oh, well. Anyway, so we want to seek to walk after the Lord. And he says to speak with sincerity. The word there means level and plain. It's, it's, it's a description of all that we say. And none of us speak perfectly. But again, we're seeking to speak in a way that pleases the Lord and honors the Lord. And then we're making it right with others and with the Lord. It's always okay. To go back and make it right when we said something that we shouldn't have said, whether intentionally or unintentionally. But we want to speak in a way. Is what we're saying true? We want to be those who speak the truth. God desires truth in our inmost being, the scripture says. And out of the inner truth comes the way that we speak. Is it appropriate? It may be true, but still not appropriate in certain settings or in any setting. 
Is it helpful? Ephesians 4.29. It's a beautiful verse. Asking these same questions about the things that we say. Is it edifying? Is it lifting others up? Or is it tearing others down? I remember as a child going to visit my granny. And I remember that my granny spoke of all kinds of things I'd never heard of before. All kinds of crime and sin and everything that was wrong with society. And I learned a lot as a young child. I didn't learn a lot I didn't need to hear about. I love my granny. But uh, we need to think about who's listening to what I'm saying. What is my speech like? We need to think about slander and gossip. Would we say it if the other person was in the room? It was the little boy and the preacher came over for lunch and Father surprised the boy and he said, uh, son, why don't you pray for our meal? And he said, I, I don't know what to pray. And the mama said, well, just pray something you hear daddy saying. And he said, dear God, why did the preacher have to come over today? And so, anyway. Probably not true, but you get the point. So these are the things that, that, that we want to pursue this the scripture always has these these contrasts of the things the believer pursues and the things that the believer flees and so we pursue right living we pursue right speech matthew 5 6 reminds us this same thing blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be satisfied and you may need to put at the top of your prayer list god help me to have a hunger and a thirst to follow you. I, b- I believe in you. I believe I'm a sinner. I believe that you died. I believe that you've come to live inside of me. Help me, Lord, to make progress today in pursuing these things. But in a contrast, the scripture often tells us about the things that we flee. So it says here, he rejects unjust gain. Gain's not wrong. Proverbs 10:22 says the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. It's not wrong. The Lord never said it's wrong to have. It's wrong to provide for yours and to bless the kingdom of God. But it's in how we get there. Oftentimes, the shortcuts look so tempting. Bending this corner and that corner. It's tax season. So I painfully remind you. The Lord will provide for us what he wants for us without us having to bend and cheat our way through. Scripture is so clear as you look at the whole big picture of it. It says work hard as best you can. If you can work, work. Honor the Lord with the first part of what he's given to you in the, in the tithe and the offering. Really, but with all of it, he owns all of it. He owns 100% of it, not 10% of it. Honor the Lord with, with our, our finances. Seek to live a life that's following him. Don't cheat. And God will provide what he knows that we need. So he says he rejects unjust gain. And the tied to it, he shakes his hands so they hold no bribe. It was a custom to, to physically show that the hands, these hands aren't holding anything. They're empty. Not allowing others to change what we know is right. It could be financial. It could be in other parts of our life. It's so easy. When others put pressure on us to do what we know the Lord wouldn't have us do. And sometimes it's just, again, that what the Lord wouldn't have us do. Some of the things are clear. Some things are our own application. We have varying applications of the Scripture. You need to have your own application. It may be different than mine. There may be things that you in good conscience can do. I can't, and vice versa. 
So we don't compare ourselves to each other. We compare ourselves to what the Lord is saying to us through his word. But he says, don't let others sway you from falling away from what you know that I want for you. And so we must not trust in people. We must trust in the Lord. But he goes on, he says he stops his ears from hearing about bloodshed. Corey Tin Boom tells the story of something that her father was keeping from her. And she said, Daddy, I really want to know about that. And he said, Corey, of course, he was a, a watchmaker and watch repairer. He said, you see my toolbox here. He said, Corey, do you think that you could carry that toolbox? And she said, no, Daddy, I don't think so. And he said, it wouldn't be right of me to ask you. It would hurt you. It's too heavy. We often say that to our kids. You know, you just this is too heavy for you spiritually. It's not time for you. To have to know about that yet. There are just things we don't need to know about. A lot of us are information aholics. We can know everything about the entire world. We can know what people in Sudan are having from breakfast, breakfast this morning on social media. We can know everything. There's so much information. And I'm pointing all my fingers back at me. We have to be careful. Uh, some things we don't need to know about. Some things are fine. Some things are just a time waste. But some things are not good for us. And so it says he stops his ears from hearing about bloodshed. To hear about harmful plans. Gossip, slander, the things that might hurt others. There are things that people say at work that you don't need to hear. You can't do anything about a lot of that. But you can control your feet. And you can move away. You can politely be that weird one. At work, who's found something worth living for. Let me just say to you, especially parents, actually for all of you, uh, just parenthetically here. Uh, if you don't know, if you, if you watch movies uh, on the Internet especially, now there are two great services out there. And I'll tell you more later if you want to know. But VidAngel is the name of one. ClearPlay is the name of the other one. And they're filters. Well, I applaud you if, if you don't watch movies. We watch some movies and we use filters. You don't have to hear the things that are in movies. You don't have to see the things. In the, they're, just, they're amazing services and uh, you can eliminate a lot of things. Now, a lot of movies turn out to be three minutes long uh, after that. Uh, I'm kidding. But, but you don't have to hear those things. And you don't have to expose your family to those things as well. But he says he shuts his ears from hearing about things he doesn't need to hear about. He shuts his eyes from looking upon evil. And certainly there's so much that bombards us with all of our senses, but certainly our eyes. Everywhere we go, there's so much junk. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. So it needs to be a part of our prayer time. It needs to be a part of our time in the Word. God, help me in these ways. Job said he made a covenant with his eyes. That he wouldn't look. We need to learn to, to bounce our eyes away. Some things we can't help from seeing the first time. But asking God to help us to be those who look away. In our family, again, we, we have a, a phrase that's just common. You hear somebody say, look away, look down. It's just okay in our family for anybody to see something and know that the rest of the family doesn't need to see it. And just say, look down, look away. We're not offended by that. We want to help each other to grow in these things. It doesn't do any good because we remember these things. They get etched in our hearts, in our souls. So he says he looks away. Well, you see the picture here. Here's this one. He's seeking to pursue the things of God and to flee the things that are not pleasing to God. Was it worth it? I mean, really. Is it worth it to try to follow God in these ways and to get together as believers and sharpen each other and hear about how we're trying to grow in these ways? I mean, why bother? 
Well, one, it glorifies the Lord. One, it's a natural result of the Holy Spirit living inside of you. But he gives this description beautifully in verse 16. He will dwell on the heights. His refuge will be the impregnable rock. His bread will be given him. And his water will be sure. He dwells on the heights. This is a beautiful picture here. Physically, that was the safe place to live. Up on the heights. Away from the dangers of the enemy. And his refuge will be the impregnable rock. That that God is his security. That to get to him, you've got to go through God. Now again, the one living in this beautiful place still has sickness. Still has things that God allows. But the picture here again is to get away from the things that I do to harm my own life. And then very simply, his bread will be given. His water will be sure. Story after story of those whose bread and water were given at the last moment, doesn't promise that you're going to be rich, doesn't promise that you're going to have an overabundance and an overflow. But the psalmist said, I've been young and I've been old, and I've not seen the righteous forsaken and his children begging for bread. Doesn't mean that there aren't some lean times. Doesn't mean that God, doesn't always, that God always provides way ahead in advance. But it's just a beautiful picture of saying, God will take care of you in his own way. Matthew six thirty-three. We're told to pursue God and His kingdom instead of pursuing all the things. I so much want to pursue the, the, the solution to pursue this thing and that thing and this need and that need, and I forget to pursue God, to pursue Him first and let Him worry about all the others. As Charles Stanley so often says, it's hanging on the wall in my office. Obey God and leave all the consequences to him. It's beautiful advice. It's simple. The times I do it. And then Psalm 1, of course, is a beautiful picture of what we're looking at here. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of the sinners because it's progressive, nor sit the seat of the scoffers. And when I begin to go down physically, spiritually, mentally, the wrong avenues, the more I go down, the more I get comfortable and the more I begin to stay. A blessed is a man that doesn't do those things. But instead, he says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is, is in the word. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And he'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. And the picture that I see here in Psalm 1 is just like that picture of the Garden of Eden. He says, again, he's not saying nothing will ever come your way. Not saying you'll never have any struggles. But if you will, instead of pursuing the way of the world, if you instead will pursue the way of the Lord in his word, he says, you'll be like a tree planted firmly by streams of water. Yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. That's a promise from the Lord. And it's there for our taking. If we'll be those who, by God's grace, will make it our goal to ask God to help us to pursue his ways and to flee the ways of the world. You help me, and I want to help you. As we celebrate the gospel, that Christ has saved us and paid for all these things, and when we fail as we do, we cling to the cross, and then we come together and we strengthen each other. Sinners trying to struggle down the right path to follow and glorify the Lord. Let's pray.